Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Certainty Talks. On this show, we talk about the system that we use to get clarity on our goals, certainty on how we're going to reach them, and wealthy on our terms by rigging the game in our favor. And we share it here because we want to help you reach your goals on your terms. You've been told to scale and buy all these products from every each way, often from good-meaning people. So it's not your fault when you look around and wonder, why am I not where I want to be in business? And as our mentor and business partner, Ted Nicholson says, the biggest risk is that we don't get what we want out of life. Also got my good friend and business partner here in the wheel club, Mr. Paul Sparks himself, not only a successful real estate investor, but also a certified certainty advisor. And if you guys get value out of the show, please hit that subscribe button right now. That way we can help more people become wealthy on their terms. Title for today's show is how to use the solvable problem to raise private money. Uh, but before we get into that, six word updates. What you got, Paul? Six word update. Raising money becomes simpler with frameworks. Oh, there you go. Basically, we're going to be talking about today's show. And yes. I'm sure you figure this out as you're raising more and more private money. Indeed. Uh, so for myself, uh, I put a uh, relentless commitment to process and fundamental. So we just finished week two of the Whale Club, and part of that required introspection and figuring out how playing your game as a kid shows up in business. And I put this because basketball, I'm obsessed with the shooting a jump shot the right way. Kung Fu, it's all about process. Sales today, it's all about process and following a framework. And now, understanding rigging the game, we're following uh, the process. So, you know, I think that uh, for me, just the way I'm wired, I may not be the best at execution, but when I do execute, it'll be relentless commitment to following the process. Uh, so, now going into private money, what is the problem exactly? with how we raise private money today. I mean, it's the same problem with everything, right? With business, <laughs> with sales, you know, a lot of us are just so hardwired towards um, jumping right to strategize and execute. Mm -hmm. If you guys have listened to the show, you've heard us talk about this framework called CASE, and it stands for Collect, Analyze, Strategize, Execute. And, you know, when you point it out, like in sales, you know, I think of the salesperson, the very, let's say, inexperienced salesperson that goes in and Steve would never teach this, right? He teaches the opposite of this, but, yeah. you know, inexperienced salespeople have a tendency to go in and just talk about themselves, talk about, we can offer you cash, we can close quick, you know, um, you're giving them a price or like whatever it is, you're just, you're making all of these features uh, you know, pitching this way before you've taken the time to slow down, to actually find out more about the seller, like mm -hmm. what's going on, you know, uh, how are you hoping we can help like collecting the information? And we know that's the right way to do that in sales, but for whatever reason, the problem is when we go into something new, we just forget all the, all the things that made us successful in other domains. Um, and private money is no different. You know, mm -hmm. I see a lot of, people making the mistake of talking about their deal or talking about the returns they can offer people. Mm -hmm. The IRR, the project, unbelievable opportunity. Right. Yeah. It's five, like, you know, it's like, it's like a 15, 16% IRR mm -hmm. and a five, a two X multiple over five years. Right. It's like, or if you're raising money for, for, you know, notes, let's say you're mm -hmm. offering 8% or you're offering 10%. I mean, right. it's so predictable what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, we make the mistake of talking about the strategy. And yeah. what we're going to talk about today is a framework to have better conversations with your private lenders. And I'm doing this as we speak. Um, this is actually a forcing function for one of the private lenders that I'm working with right now. Mm -hmm. And I told him, I was like, well, listen, I'll just do a podcast and I'll show you exactly how I help my private lenders create their solvable problem. And then we show how uh, our investment opportunity actually aligns with what they're trying to get closer to. 
Right. I mean, just put it another way, you know, you talk about the traditional sales process that a lot of people may be doing right now in raising private capital. I look at the traditional sales process like you go to the car dealership and I just direct you. First, I ask you how much, what's your budget? And then I direct you to the most expensive car or not the most expensive car, the car that's right on that budget. And I'm going to start talking to you about, hey, it's got like the GPS, it's got the autopilot, it's got maybe, depending on the budget, the massage function, right? It's got the cell phone charge. I'm just pushing all these features and benefits about this car that you don't necessarily care about. You might, I don't know, because I haven't asked you these questions, right? Or like, um, you know, we were talking about timeshares earlier this week, you know, like sitting through a timeshare presentation it's never like paul tell me what you want in a vacation it's like let me tell you about this product and how you can come here once a year for a week and a and b and c and d and it's like that's great and all but like this has nothing to do (laughs) with what i actually want in a vacation and in fact it's actually more stressful because now i have to build a vacation around what you've just said are some predetermined uh, guidelines that now i have to fit everything into so, so then, um, and I, I guess the other thing too, we, I hear this every once in a while, these questions are asked, like, what is a fair interest rate I should pay in private money? Right. And I always say that's the wrong question. Cause that's like asking a homeowner, how much do you want for your house? Right. Kind of irrelevant. So go ahead. Uh, what do you got? Well, I, that's so spot on. Um, I'm going to just make a note here, but you know, you said something um, that a lot of inexperienced salesperson do is just like they're making this assumption like that everyone is a fit for their product, mm-hmm. yeah. right? It, it's the it's the car salesman that's like selling you all of these. You, you hear a budget and immediately just like pitching all these features and benefits of the product, mm-hmm. um, assuming that they're going to actually like that right and that assuming is because we haven't actually collected the information and a good salesperson knows that not everybody is a good fit for what you're offering Mm -hmm. right we're trying to find the right clients that we can actually you know help in order to do that we got to know what they actually want right and this is no different so the anchoring framework for almost everything that we do is case Mm -hmm. and case is also coupled with the idea of the solvable problem. And you mentioned, uh, people ask like, what's a good interest rate, you know, or like how much should I be making on a flip or like, this is pervasive everywhere. What does that have to do with you is my question, right? It all comes back to the solvable problem. What do you need? Because we want to try to pick strategies with the least amount of risk and the least amount of effort to get what we want in life. Because as you say in the intro, the biggest risk is that we don't get what we want in life. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and, and obviously, these tools, these investment opportunities, these strategies and things that we're talking about, they're just tools to help us get what we want in life. Right. So instead of just like, it's like we just we need to pick the right tool, which is the strategy. Um, so it's the same over and over and over. No matter what you're doing, always case. So collect the information. So anytime I'm meeting with a new private lender, I'm never talking about the different projects that we're doing or the different opportunities that I have because we have to go through the process. The process is the shortcut. Yeah. You know, so what let's talk about um, helping a private investor, someone who's, uh, you know, most of the people that I work with, they have high, they're high income uh, earning W2 people, right? They have jobs, they're doctors, they're attorneys, they're engineers, they're, they're making active income some way. Mm -hmm. And the better question is to talk to them about like, well, what's your timeline? So we say the solvable problem is that you funded what you want on your terms, on your timeline. Yeah. So how long do they want to work for? 
How much money do you need in order to actually retire? And this is going through the process of helping them build out their solvable problem, mm -hmm. right? And so we break solvable problem down into really, I do this with private lenders, there's two main areas. And this is where if you're looking to raise money, here's some actionable steps you can take when you're having conversations with homeowners. We're just going to kind of go through the case framework. Mm -hmm. So we're starting with C. Yeah. So what information, Steve, if you're having a conversation with a private lender, someone who's reached out and says, hey, I see that you're like investing um, I want to learn more about that. What are some, what's some information we might want to collect from that person up front? Um, well, this is the self-serving part, right? What I would want to know is how much money they got, what their experience is, and what their expectations are in their investment, right? So, and part of that, like, you know, what their experience is, is like, you know, what have they done? What is their risk tolerance? And um, what are their fears and concerns? That's what I want to know. Now, yeah. we get there by figuring out what's important to them and what they want. Yeah. But for me, as far as figuring out if this is going to be a good fit for myself, that's what I'm going to need to know by the end of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, certainly all those things. Um, you know, I'm sort of trying to start, uh, we had, we had somebody on our whale call yesterday said, you got to go, it was, her six word update was go backwards to go forwards. Yeah. I really liked that. Mm -hmm. I think it was Candy, uh, Osborne who said that. Yep. Um, and so let's define what do we want? Like, for example, uh, I'm making this show for Ben, mm -hmm. right? Ben's going to listen back to this. One of the first things I would, I would have a conversation with, because Ben's a doctor. It's funny, because, like, we were in engineering school together, and we had uh, multiple, like, class projects and things like this, but we haven't spoken in 10 years. Started seeing a lot of the stuff that I'm doing on social media, and he reached out um, inquiring about some of these opportunities. And I just basically said, like, okay, so – Tell me about what it looks like to solve your pro your financial problems. What does mm -hmm. financial certainty look like to you? How much, you know, another way of saying that is like, how much money do you need coming in every year to live the life that you want on your terms? And, you know, his sort of, he's like, I like being a doctor. Yeah. Um, I just don't want to do it full time. You know, I'd rather do it when I want to do it, participate maybe part time. And we started establishing some timelines. So what he's telling me is like, hey, you know, he's 33, I think, just like me. So like, I'll, he's like, I'll work for another 10 years. That's not a problem. In fact, I, I kind of want to work for another 10 years. Yeah. But in my mid 40s, I want to have the option to slow down. So mm -hmm. we started defining, well, what does that look like? Right. And now we're getting, okay, so how much cash flow would you need into your life in order to be able to stop working? Because yeah. again, all these strategies have to be aligned to get us closer to that. Oh, absolutely. And I think part of it, right? Because when you're asking the question, what would I want to know? And I was saying, like, this is very self-serving. This is what I would want to know. Yeah. But, you know, uh, at the same time, if I'm trying to help someone else, right, this goes back to, which is really the title of the show, right? Using solve a problem. Like, hey, Paul, how much longer do you want to work? 10 years. Great. Let's just call it 45, 12 years. Okay. When you retire... In 12 years, when you're 45 years old, what does retirement look like to you? Yeah. Right? And we talk about what does retirement look like? Hey, I'm having an awesome vacation once a year. Um, I don't know Ben's situation, but I know your situation. You don't have kids yet, and you're not going to have kids in college by this time. Right? So maybe what's important to you is you have money set aside for college. Right? You're not going to be an empty nester at 45, uh, personally. Again, uh, private conversations, but... By that, by the time you're 45, you have, you should have some kids in high school, right? So we're gonna say, okay, so you know, an epic vacation once a year, whether it's Europe, Bahamas, whatever. Um, money set aside to fund college, be able to fund right the mortgage, the car payments, the expensive car insurance, and right now we just have cell phone plans. But who knows what other plans we're gonna have 12 years from now, right? So we're gonna have to figure out what what kind of 
monthly income do you have to have to be able to fund all this? Yeah. And then based off all of that, now we can figure out what the solvable problem is. Yeah. And we call those core priorities and preferences. Mm -hmm. You know, the core priorities are like, got to have a place to live, got to have food on the table, you know, got to pay our insurance, our medical bills. Like we got to get around. So we got to have cars and insurance mm -hmm. and all these things. And, you know, like, yeah, that might change in 12 years, but I doubt that our basic needs and our core priorities are going to change very much. Right. Um, I also use this to kind of establish like this is the lifestyle that I would that I want to live. Obviously, like I reserve the right to change my mind, mm -hmm. but I use this as a way to keep myself from lifestyle creep. Right. Right. Core priorities should be very standard and we all have them. It's all the preferences that we need to account for right. putting the kids through college, the vacation once a year, you know, buying the Lambo. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's all preference based. No judgment there. We just want to like account for it. Right. Um, we can add all that stuff up and we can get to a pretty, you know, the idea here is like, we want to have something to aim at. We don't need to get caught up in perfection. Mm hmm. And I'll tell everyone that's listening, here is a shortcut to getting your solvable problem. You take the amount of money that you would want to spend per year, ideally, and multiply it by 25. We call this the rule of four. It's a mm -hmm. shortcut. So if you need $100,000 a year, let's say you need a million dollars a year. Okay, you probably need about $25 million in assets to be able to withdraw 4% a year. Long story short, you don't need to know the math. Just take your number and multiply it by 25. That's your core capital number. Mm -hmm. You know, another way to work backwards is, again, to just to go through the process of actually writing your core priorities out and your preferences. Yep. But there's a shortcut to that, too. And so we go through that process. And you would not believe the amount of credibility you're going to gain with your clients when you make it about them. Mm -hmm. Nobody cares about your, your project. <laughs> Nobody cares about what you're doing in real estate as much as you do, right. especially not these people. Yeah. I mean, this is just a vehicle, right? That's right. Of them getting there. I don't, I can't imagine too many parties where like, Paul, you wouldn't believe I'm a lender on this one flip in downtown Phoenix, <laughs> right? Hey, you know, I've got this guy uh, who is flipping this house over in Chandler and I'm getting X amount percent. They're not oh, bragging about the property. They're not bragging about, you know, uh, we're improving neighborhoods. Right? A lot of flippers you talk, they brag about or they're proud of I flipped that house, I flipped that house, and every once in a while they're driving, they'll just drive by the house they flip, right? And there's pride in there as a flipper. Yeah. But if you ask a private lender to see how many houses they've driven by that they were the private lender on, I can't imagine that, that number being very high. Right. This reminds me of the Donald Miller story brand yeah. book. Mm -hmm. It's like, we aren't the heroes. They are. Mm -hmm. They are the hero of their own of their own story, and we want to position ourselves as the guide. Right. Right. Just like what Donald Miller. If you haven't read that book, I highly suggest it. Um, we also have a framework we call the Pixar framework. Once upon a time, and every day, and because of that, and because of that, and then eventually, like we have this framework, right? Mm -hmm. And the point is, we use these frameworks because. We've got to get out of positioning ourselves and our project that we're so excited about yeah. as the hero. That's not the hero. They are the hero of their own story. So again, it all comes back to defining the hero's journey. What does it look like for you to live the life that you want to live? Because I'm not even sure it makes sense yet for me to be involved. Right. And until I understand what you're looking for, what good does it do to start talking about strategies? It makes no point because the strategy might make no sense. Right. Um, and again, like features and benefits and going back to what I was 
saying selfishly what I would want to know, right? We start prescribing things. We're prescribing things that might make sense for myself, you know, where I put myself in their shoes, or it might make sense because the last five investors I talked to, this is what they wanted. So I just assume the sixth, sixth investor wants the same exact thing. Yeah. And if I do that, if I assume that, <clears throat> he's walking away, the meeting from, walking away from the meeting. He's like, I don't know what that meeting was about. It had nothing to do with me. I hope he gets the money he wants, but I don't know what. <laughs> I don't know why he was talking to me. I had, had nothing to do. I, I didn't feel like I was part of that conversation. Yeah. Yeah, because you're being sold too, and people can immediately tell. Yeah. You know, and you mentioned experience, expectations, risk tolerance, fears, and concerns. Mm -hmm. I lump all that in to preferences. Yeah. You know, your, uh, your risk tolerance, that's a preference. Mm -hmm. Some people are going to be more risk tolerant than others. Some people are going to have uh, another phrase that we use is uh, macro belief. Some people have a macro belief in single family rentals, but want nothing to do with development projects. Yeah. Some people don't need development projects because it's, it's carries too much risk where like they can downshift into something that gets them a lower, a lower return and still accomplish their solvable problem. So again, this is the ank like case solvable problem closer versus more. These are all frameworks that you, sh you can, you can start adopting right. with your, uh, with your private lenders, with anybody, this works in any situation, but of course we're just talking about it in private lending. Well, let me just, uh, just do a quick detour here. You know, I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago. It was really a fascinating conversation. And they're like, Steve, with your reach, you can go start buying commercial properties, right? You can raise so much capital and you could, um, you know, start buying these distressed assets at 40, 60 cents in a dollar, and you could build massive wealth right now, right? Which he's 100% correct. I could go do all these things, right? But we didn't talk about what's important to me. Right. Right. He's like, with your resources, this and this and that, here's what I would do in your situation. And I'm sure it's a good solution. But where am I at in my career? Well, we're talking about asymmetric uh, um, returns, right? Asymmetric potential with very low downside, right? I don't want to go raise a bunch of capital for an asset class I know almost nothing about where I'm completely inexperienced, right? But the other thing too, you know, you've heard me talk about my solvable problem. And part of my solvable problem is maybe at some point I don't want to raise any more private money. And the reason why is because, particularly an asset class that can be risky, is if things go south, because I don't know this <laughs> asset class, I'm going to lose sleep losing other people's money, right? So I'm only going to work in asset classes that I am an expert in, that I have, a, you know, literally thousands of transactions of experience in versus yeah. this other asset class where, like, I've done, like, two or three. Mm -hmm. So, you know, talking about asymmetric risk to the upside or asymmetric, asymmetric return, preferences, right? Just like we're asking our potential investors who are going to invest with us what their preferences are. We also have to be really clear on what our preferences are as well. Yes, and everybody is quick to tell. I'm sure that you get this all the time, what you should or shouldn't mm -hmm. be doing yeah. because you're just so, because you've created so many options yeah. by like doing what you do that of course, um, People are going to people are going to assume that what you value the most is money. Mm -hmm. And if you, Steve, if you just do this, you can make more money. Right. That is the problem, right? The problem is that we're not accounting for the entire picture. We're making suggestions without really understanding the person's solvable problem, and that's the same exact thing that a lot of people make the mistake on when they're talking to private lenders. Yeah, is like, hey. You could make more money if we did this and they're comparing it maybe to like you're their 401k or mm -hmm. the stock market or the money in treasury bonds that they have or the cash sitting in their bank. And you're just assuming that they want to make more money. Right. Which is an incorrect assumption sometimes. 
A lot you of know, times. my dad's in his in his sixties. My dad's in his sixties, and I used to make this mistake all the time. I'm like, why? Why don't we go invest in real estate? Why? Why are you keeping that much cash in the bank? Why do you have that much equity in your house? You could make so much more money if you just put this into real estate. Mm -hmm. And he's like, son. It's not always about making more money. At this point in my life, I'm more interested in security and reliability mm -hmm. and being able to sleep at night. I'm not super concerned with how do I make more. Yeah, we and go through. Of uh, course, we just we go through different seasons, right? You have your uh, capital growth seasons, right? You and I are in this season, and you get your capital preservation seasons, right? Right. Like you can't go to a retirement home and start pitching crypto. Right. They're not. <laughs> this is. They're not in the season for like risk and reward. High reward, high risk. Right. They're in a. Yeah. They're in the like. I need this money to make it as long as I'm alive. Season. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that That's was a detour. Good. Well, it's it's just, and it just comes back to, um, if you're a high quick start, if you're and like we are, if you're someone that doesn't struggle with taking action. Yeah. You know, a lot of your listeners, I and I, you know, on real estate disruptors, they're people that don't necessarily struggle with taking action. Mm -hmm. um, so, if that's you, remember that it's not about you. It's not about your project. I, again, I'm saying this because I made this mistake for the We've last. We've all made this mistake. You know, We've all made this mistake, and I constantly make it, which is why these frameworks are so powerful. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not about you. You're not the hero. Your project is good. I get it got a great project doesn't matter unless it's relevant to this person doesn't matter unless it unless it's useful to them helping them accomplish what it is that they want and we've got to we got to slow down to collect that information yeah right so if you can help your so actionable stuff right if you're talking to a private lender start by defining their robert kiyosaki calls it the freedom number mm -hmm. you know i just call this the solvable problem like what how much money do you need in order to live the life that you want to live? And what does that look like? Right. You know, are you a doctor that's still okay working part-time? You know, are you a real estate investor like me? Who's like, I'm, I don't want to just retire. Like I like playing business like a sport. Mm -hmm. So I almost, I'm always going, I shouldn't say always, but like I intend to have active income consistently. So like, do I need a million dollars a year in passive income, not necessarily because I'm making active income as well. But yeah, when you're talking with your investors, try to establish um, either what we call the shortcut, which is the rule of four. So take their, they, they say they want $100,000 a year, multiply that by 25, they need about $2.5 million. Right. So that's the, uh, is that collect and analyze or is that we're still in collect? That's collect. Okay, so what's analyze? So analyze is, okay, now we need to figure out what I call like the, the return number. Mm -hmm. It means how much do you need to, like, um, I don't have a calculator in front of me. I could probably pull, it, pull one out pretty easily. But like, let's say that in order to, you know, let's say you're starting with $100,000 and you want to retire with $10 million by the end of the year. Well, <laughs> we're going to have to take a lot of risk, yeah. right? Um, I mean, like rob and, this is like almost like robbing the bank risks. Yeah, robbing <laughs> the bank risk. Exactly. So we might like collect the information and then analyze it. And it says, hey, you need like 1,424% to hit like per month to hit your goal by the end of the year. Yeah. So we might need to adjust some of the parameters, mm -hmm. right? You know, um, maybe we need to increase the timeline. Yeah. Uh, what do they say? Time in market always beats timing the market. Mm -hmm. well, that's kind of what we're saying here is we have to pick appropriate timelines, right? right? So, yeah, so I guess taking a step back here, right? Because a lot of this is what Dan uses. Uh, he created a certainty app for this, right? Exactly. So... We're talking about collecting then, like, here's how much you have today in cash that you can invest. Here is the target using the rule of four, right? Multiplying by 25. And then here's the date you want to get there by. And then the analyze is, okay, what kind of returns do you need 
between today and 10 years from now to hit your target number. Yep. And that's the analyze. Correct. Got it. So ideally we're getting, we're aligning like our, our core priorities and our timelines appropriately based on a return percentage, mm -hmm. right? Again, cause like if you, if your solvable problem says that you need 200% return every year for the next, you know, five years in order to get where you want, it's like, well, your only options are like crypto. Mm -hmm. um, well, there are other options, but it's going to be active. They're not passive. Correct. Correct. Yeah. We're talking about a passive investor here, right? Yeah. And so I think that's what we're trying to get to is that that percentage. Like if we know, for example, we need 15% return every single year for the next 10 years in order to hit our goal. That's what going through the process of collecting and analyzing the data tells us. Mm -hmm. Okay. The next step in analyze is, uh, well, I guess you're kind of moving into strategize. It's like, now let's, let's take an inventory of what strategies are out there. Right. Okay. So we've collected where you want to be 10 years from now, when you want to be there by. We've used Certainty app or what other tools we have to analyze what are the required returns between today and 10 years from now. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to evaluate what strategies can help us hit this target that we've come up with after we've collected and analyzed. Correct. And, and all with an orientation towards least amount of risk and least amount of effort. I don't know anybody who wants to like put in more effort than they than they need in order to hit their goals or take yeah. on more risk than they need to hit their goals. Yeah. Like we want to design a system so that we're taking the least amount of risk. So, Maybe the example is like, let's say you only need 5%. You were a great saver, right? You got $500,000 and you need to get to 600,000, you know, whatever. Yeah. And you only need 5% return. It's like, that's very informative because treasury bonds right now, you can basically get 5% with almost like a really, really low risk. Mm -hmm. You don't even need real estate. Right. That's the point is we want to try to help these people pick the strategy that is going to get them to their goal with the least amount of risk, right? Yeah. You tell me what's more risky, a development deal or a single family rental portfolio that carries zero debt. The latter for sure. Right. Yeah. Which is why I push a lot of people to, to Pete, mm -hmm. you know, you know, you, you and I know Pete, we've had him on this call. He's a member of our community. He runs and operates a fund, single family rental fund. Three bed, two bath, you know, two hundred fifty thousand square foot houses or uh, two hundred fifty thousand dollar houses, like definition of middle America, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and he's buying these with no debt, and he's paying an eight percent return, roughly. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's a lot less risky than going after a development deal where you might be able to make, you know, twelve, thirteen, fourteen percent or higher. Um, but why would you take on more risk than you need? If you only need at 8%, you should just downshift into something like that. Right. Um, and this brings up another framework that I'm a big fan of. We talk about the barbell. And for those who aren't familiar with the barbell, it's a way to sort of think through how to, how to, um, how to remove risk from your investment portfolio. In this case, what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So picture a barbell. And it's pretty, it'd be pretty rare to see a barbell that has weights in the middle of the bar, right? It's going to topple over. Yeah. It's either on one side or it's on the other. And we talk about the barbell because, again, it's another framework to have conversations with your private investors. We want to take a look and see kind of a balanced barbell. We want stuff on one side that's very reliable and low risk. Mm -hmm. We want stuff on the other side that has asymmetric upside meaning like if it goes really well and we'll make a ton of money if it doesn't go well well we don't we lose money but it's not like it's not going to throw us back it's not catastrophic it's not it's not setting us backwards right but if it hits it helps us collapse time and get where we're going faster 
you know? Um, so this is the next sort of conversation I'm having with people as I look at and analyze different strategies is like, well, how does their barbell look? Are they, are they heavily positioned in really low risk off, you know, risk off type positions? Well, then we might want to look at adding some high, you know, asymmetrical bets to your portfolio. Right. Right. Um, it doesn't mean like, let's say you need, again, let's just say you need 10% to hit what you need. Well, it, what I'm saying is it might be a combination of some stuff that makes an average of 8% and some stuff that makes an average of 12%. Yeah. Cause the, yeah. So well, hopefully that makes uh, sense. I mean, we talk about depending on who you're talking to, like most, most stockbrokers will say you got to diversify your assets. Yeah. Right. And you got Warren Buffett who says like, you know, diversification is because you're weak. <laughs> you don't, you don't have enough faith in the asset class you're investing in. Right. But what we're talking about here with the barbell is like a certain percentage, depending on what we analyze, needs to be going towards a reliable passive income or a reliable return on investment. And then the other side has the asymmetric upside. And over time, if when one, whenever one of these pops is you can take some of that money and you can put it to the reliable side. Right, because you no longer take need you no longer require as much risk, correct? Because you don't need as much reward to hit your targeted date, correct? We want to constantly be taking risk off the table, mm -hmm. right? And part of like that word risk, like there's market risk, there's concentration risk, there's interest rate risk, there's like there's there's so many ways to evaluate risk, um, and maybe just an easy way of just saying this is like diversification. Like we want to sort of diversify. You wouldn't put all your eggs in one basket, even if you know, well, this guy can get me 8%. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, but what happens if that somehow goes wrong? Like there's still risk of that. Yeah. So we want to try to start diversifying as we get closer, which is another way of removing risk, which again is just um, another conversation around the barbell. It's like, well, you've got a 401k, and you've got a job where you're earning like high active income. You know, the thing is, is like most jobs, in my opinion, like the high income W2 earners, um, there's a lot of asymmetry built into that. It's, what do you mean? It's kind of, an, it's, a, it's sort of an upside play, mm -hmm. right? Like um, you don't take on a lot of risk necessarily when you work for someone else. Yeah, you don't lose money. You don't have negative months. You don't have negative months. Now you're susceptible to black swan events, right? Yeah. Taleb talks about this. Yeah, you're susceptible but, to getting laid, getting laid off. You're susceptible to health issues, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But you're not. You're never going to be going backwards financially working a job. Right. And so to me, there's a lot of asymmetry in that. And that's how like a lot of our when we start, a lot of us that we start in real estate, like our barbells look just like that. We've got maybe like a 401k and some money we put in uh, savings, things like this. And then we've got our job. And then we say, hey, I'm going to start getting passive income. I'm going to use the money I'm making from my job to start buying passive income. And that shifts from one side of the barbell to the other. We start building more reliability. So the analysis and picking the right strategy comes from really like, I got to get a financial picture. I got to collect the information. Mm -hmm. Um and then you can start having conversations around, well, so it seems like we need to get you in some opportunities where we can, we can get this type of return or, you know, now we're actually having conversations based off of data right. that informs, you know, people like Ben, where they might, you know, be able to start adding to their barbell. Maybe they need more reliability or they need more upside. But well, this kind of goes, goes back, back to, to when I was saying earlier, here's what I would want to know. This actually comes into play in the strategize section, right? Because now we've kind of figured out what your risk tolerance is based off of what we analyzed, right? And we've also figured out how much you want to work with. So all the stuff that I was saying, here's what I would want to know, really comes into play now when we're strategizing. So I jump straight mm -hmm. into strategy, right? Um, it's typical. Um, so 
I'm talking about risk tolerance, how much you have, what kind of returns you're getting, what what's your expectations, what's your previous experience. This all comes into play now in the strategize mm-hmm. section. Like, okay, here are the different buffet of options that we have, which some of them or none of them might work for you. We might figure out that we are not the best place to park your money, mm-hmm. right? Like you were saying earlier, like you need 5%. I'm not your guy, right? Because the stuff that we have, we pay more, and there is a tiny bit of risk there. Well, there's just more risk. Yeah, right? it's, it's, just it's, relative. It's, it's it's non-zero. Right. It's non-zero just risk. Relative, relative to the other thing, it's more yeah. risky. Um, and, you know, we, we say this orientation. You know, I keep saying least amount of risk, least amount of effort, but I'm leaving out one little piece there, which is most amount of options. Mm-hmm. So we, we say that we want to have an orientation towards least amount of effort, least amount of risk, most amount of options. Um, and what we're doing, like, intentionally with how we're building Whale Club is bringing in all of these very diverse operators in markets all over the country in asset classes like single family, self-storage, multifamily, industrial, developments. Why? Because we want to increase the optionality. Yeah. So that when private lenders and people inside of our community are helping private lenders um, understand their solvable problem, we're creating an opportunity where we've got all of these options and private investors that join the whale club get the benefit of that. All right. Right. They're able to sort of define exactly what it is that they want in life, figure out what kind of returns they need in order to get there on their timeline on their terms, it's got to align with like their preferences. Exactly. And then based off collecting and analyzing all that information, here is a medley of strategies that you can consider based off of what we've just collected and analyzed. Mm -hmm. And then it's as simple as saying, uh, where can I, where can I write the check? Yeah. And the execution part is actually the easy part. In this, well, in this scenario. It's easy for the private investor. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Part right? of, for the private money investor, compiling sucks. Analyze in this model isn't so bad. Right? It usually is. But in this instance, analyze isn't so bad. Strategy, we already have the strategies. You just figure out which one makes the most sense based off what we analyze. And the execute is actually pretty easy as a lender. Right? You just got to make sure it's secure. That's really it. You just got to make sure it's collateralized. So right. really, the hardest part as a lender is this introspection that's required because we're going to ask you all these questions mm-hmm. about, you know, 10 years from now or when do you want to retire? Okay, when you retire, what does that look like? What's important? What's going to have to happen? So the execute is pretty easy. You just got to make sure the loans go into the right place and it's collateralized. Right. Well, and it it's also easy for people that, are kind of using uh, coming through like whale club. Why? Because everybody in the club understands these frameworks and is like building them into their business. Mm -hmm. So here's the thing, like picking the right operator to invest with is also a huge challenge. Just because someone tells you, I can get you 250,000 million percent return on this investment. It's like, Okay, yeah, but we need to evaluate the operator as well. Mm-hmm. And what we're trying to do is, as a community, build and establish these frameworks so that you know that when you come in to the Whale Club as a private investor and you're looking for options, that the people that have investable opportunities are using these same frameworks to run and build their business. Well, we're all speaking the same language. We have the same value system. We all believe in the same things. Right. A lot easier for someone that's going through the case framework to confidently invest in someone that also follows the case framework for their operations and the deals that they do. And runs their business on certainty principles. Right. Right. Because again, who would you rather invest with? 
somebody that has a process for decision making or somebody that does not. Yeah. When you put it that way, it sounds pretty scary. You, you tell me, <laughs> right? You know, it's like again, that's that's another uh power in using these frameworks is like you're going to get so much authority and credibility with your private investors because mm -hmm. they see that you're not just like flying by the seat of your pants. Like, yeah, maybe you've got all this experience. Right. And that's great. But if you have a process for decision making, if you have a process to take your private lenders through to get clarity on what they want, yeah. to position them as the hero of their own story, and then help them pick from strategies that can actually help them get closer to what they want with operators that also speak this language, whew, it's a powerful thing, right? right? And this is what we're trying to accomplish with our community is not only helping active real estate investors build businesses on certainty, rig the game, get closer to what they want, but help passive investors do the same thing. And we all come into the same community and help each other. Yeah. And I think, you know, we talk about, it can be challenging underwriting deals, right? Cause you're saying you're having a process, right? So it can be challenging underwriting deals, but for the seasoned operator, right? They know how to underwrite deals and so on. Now we're saying here, for a private money lender that's interested in investing, here's a way to underwrite the operators, mm. right? You underwrite the operators. Do they have a framework? Do they have a process? How do we know they're not going to be taking, you know, only moonshot plays, right? Like they're, they're, they're doing something where they're running a reliable business because it's based off of certainty principles. Mm -hmm. Yep. So many parallels to like, Again, it's all the same. It's all the same. And whether you're buying a house from a homeowner sitting in their living room or you're working with a private lender or you're making decisions inside your business, it all comes back to case mm -hmm. and the solvable problem and closer versus more. Well, absolutely. And the other thing, too, is like, you know, being a sales trainer, the things we talk about in selling is I've got to understand you as such a deep level an insanely deep level right like the things i've said is like when i've done my best running an appointment and i asked the question do you feel like i understand what's going on in your world the best appointment I ever ran the guy said i feel like you understand me better than anyone else i know right do you think i earned the business right so we have to collect we have to sit there and understand the other person and what they want and what's important to them so when we're talking about the case here and collecting information about the other person, what their objectives are, it's the same thing when you're selling because you got to figure out what's going on in their world and figure out whether your solution solves their problem. Mm -hmm. And that's what, exactly what you talked about here today on, on today's show. Yeah. So if you're out there looking to raise money, um, consider adopting this and give it a shot, right? Mm -hmm. Um consider not leading with how great your deal is mm -hmm. consider not leading with how awesome uh of the interest rate that they're gonna get or whatever because nobody cares right. i got news like nobody cares about that they care about themselves mm -hmm. they care about like how does this help me get what i want even if they're not saying that that's what they're thinking right well and so, here's the thing though but to everything you said they believe they care about the number because they've got no basis for it. It's mm, good. Right? Yep. They believe they want a certain high interest rate, but they've got no basis for it. Once we do this exercise where we figure out what's important and what their goals are and help them understand what percentage they need to lead the lifestyle they want when, they're, when they retire on the day that they've decided, that number is no longer as relevant because we've gone and done the work to figure out what actual returns they require to live the life that they want. That's it. And that's how you raise more private money. Yeah. Right. Is separate yourself from the rest of the most people that are out there talking about the, how great their strategy is. Yeah. Um, if you can just, you know, use this case framework and the solvable problem, help them define what's important to them, not just from a money standpoint. Some strategies are going to be more active than others. Mm -hmm. Get a full comprehensive picture and also build in. Let them know why you're doing this. 
right? Yeah. Let them know that we have a process for this. Honestly, I talk about case and solvable problem and closer versus more. I use that language with all my investors because the language is powerful. Now they can start using that language to describe uh, how they're going you know, to approach this problem that they're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. Um, and it gives them a lot of confidence in not only themselves, but in you as the guide that can help them uh, achieve what they want. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is an episode mostly dedicated to Ben, right? Yeah. But, you know, we get about 100,000 downloads right, a month on Real Estate Disruptor. So, you know, if you're watching this on YouTube or you're listening uh, on iTunes or Spotify and, you know, you want to have Paul help you through this exercise, highly encourage you guys, figure out what your solvable problem is, right? Figure out uh, where you want to be, what the requirements are, analyze what actual return you need. And I'm sure Paul will be happy if you go to realestatecertainty.com, schedule a call, help you get clarity on what's important to you. And then from there, you can figure out whether you want to invest with Paul, invest with me, or whatever else. But at least now you know what you require as a return. Yep. So yes, I mean, that's exactly right. Um, and that's what we're going, that's what we're doing right now over the course of eight, it's probably more closer to 10 weeks. We're doing this with this most recent group of whales. Mm -hmm. um, so I am still doing the certainty strategy sessions with people, and I'm going to give you everything I can in 45 minutes, right? How you can start taking this and apply it in your life. Um, and I encourage you to do that, whether you're an active investor wanting to learn more about how to clarify this either in your own business or how to use this to help you raise more private money, go schedule a call with me. I'll show you how you can do that. Give you some actionable steps. Mm -hmm. If you're a passive investor and you want to learn more about it, we're building a community with real estate investors all over the country that have investable opportunities, but that doesn't matter unless we understand what your solvable problem is. And right. is this even relevant? Who, you know, who cares unless it actually helps you get closer to what you want? And if you want some support in figuring that out, go to realestatecertainty.com and schedule a certainty strategy session with me. And I'll do the same exact thing. We'll work through this process to try to define, well, what is it the actual number that you need to hit? And then let's use that to try to guide our decisions and what strategies we actually go after. Perfect. So. I think that's great. I think, you know, this is a good spot to wrap up. Was there anything else you wanted to share before we, we finish? No, uh, you're right. This, this show is dedicated to Ben. So hopefully, Ben, you got a lot out of this. <laughs> and, you know, anybody else who's looking to invest, hopefully you got a lot out of this as well. Um, and, you know, uh, just encourage everybody, use these frameworks. It'll help you raise more private money. It'll help your investors get into the right deals. That'll help them get closer to what they want. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. So yeah, congratulations, Ben. That you know we've recorded hundreds of episodes. You're the first one that got a dedicated episode. So <laughs> hope you really enjoy it. <laughs> See you guys <laughs> next week. Bye, everyone. <laughs>